It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday show, my co-host Rob Rang. It's Mock Draft Monday. Looking forward to breaking down your latest Seahawks drafts with a heavy emphasis on the offensive line this week. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Though it remained unclear whether the team planned to bring him back in 2021, Mike Cupati made the decision for the Seahawks, announcing his retirement from the NFL. Really, Rob, he did it in the way you would expect from Mike Cupati. He kept it under wraps, and it was revealed through an interview with the spokesman reviewing. Nobody knew about it until this morning when the article dropped, and apparently this decision was made immediately after the Seahawks were ousted by the Rams in the wildcard round. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It is, it is very typical of Mike Dupati, kind of an understated way. Um, you know, the spokesman review, of course, uh, in Spokane is basically right next to, um, uh, you know, to the University of Idaho, which is a less than, you know, half hour, 45 minute drive away. Um, and so that doesn't surprise me that that is, um, you know, some of the folks that, that he spoke to um, over this news. And it doesn't surprise me that that is when he made that decision um, to retire. Of course, by the end of the season, um, bodies are physically beaten up, especially if you are a, a veteran like Mike Dupati. You have been been to the top of the mountain, so to speak. You know, you've been an All Pro. Um, you have been considered one of the, the the better, more durable, more consistent interior offensive linemen in the NFL over the past decade or so. Um, you know, Seahawks fans right now might be kind of questioning that a little bit because they saw Yapati at the end of his career, where where he was not quite the dominant force that he was uh, during his time in San Francisco and with the Arizona Cardinals as well. Um, but in terms of size, in terms of just raw power. Hour, you know, I, he was an absolutely phenomenal player, and it's it's funny because you know you go back and you think about this is a, a young man who um, you know who who kind of you know grew up and, and played his college ball at the University of Idaho. I mean, how many Vandals out there are, are in the NFL? I mean, there's not a there's only so many who have wound up playing in the NFL. Of course, one of the more prominent Idaho Vandals, um, at least when it comes to Seahawks lore, would be the quarterback John Freeze. Um, and so you have had a couple. But but not a huge number of them, and so uh, you know, to me, it, this is kind of one of those stories that is um, it, it's it's sad to see Mike Yapati leave because, frankly, at times I thought he was one of Seattle's best offensive linemen, and obviously the Seahawks are going to have to be able to replace him, and that's much easier said than done. Um, but at the same time, it also allows us to very much narrow in on our scope on what the Seahawks are going to be looking to do in the future because now they've only got a couple of guards and only one center um, that are currently under contract. So clearly uh, our, our thoughts at the interior of the offensive line is going to be a big focus this offseason. Yeah, it does provide a bit more clarity. But again, I think that this is what the Seahawks were probably anticipating is that they were going to be moving on from Mike Upati, whether he wanted to play another season or not. And again, this just gives that clarification. Well, we don't even have to consider whether we're going to re-sign him because he's walking away. And as he mentioned in his interview with the Spokesman Review, his body told him that it was time to walk away. And you look at the last couple of years, he's been dealing with nerve issues in his neck. And that's not something you want to mess around with, especially when you've gotten past 10 years. That was his goal. Can I get to 10 years? He ended up playing 11 seasons in the NFL. And as you mentioned, he was a fantastic player for the vast majority of those 11 seasons. Four Pro Bowl selections. Two times he was an All-Pro selection, including in 2012, the Super Bowl-bound 49ers. He was a first-team All-Pro selection. And he ended up playing in four NFC championship games during his career so uh, this particular player 
had a very successful career, 11 playoff games that he got to play in, and he spent his entire time in the NFC West, in the rugged, one of the most rugged divisions in football in the NFC West. And you mentioned coming from Idaho. Mark Schlereth is probably the most notable player that I can remember coming out of Idaho. There have been some pretty good linemen that ironically have come from the Vandals, but easily one of the best players ever to come out of Idaho and star in the NFL. And really, you look at his couple seasons in Seattle, Rob, I thought he gave the Seahawks two very solid seasons. He started 15 games in 2019. That was the most he'd started in three years because he had been dealing with injuries at the end of his time with the Cardinals. And he was a Pro Bowl alternate. This is a guy that when he was in the lineup again, injuries were taking a toll. When you're dealing with nerve issues in your neck, it's extremely difficult to be able to continue playing this game. And so he missed some games as a result. He missed both playoff games in 2019 from that injury. But when he was on the field, he played well for the most part. And really, I thought the end of that 2019 season going to the playoffs, the Seahawks had all those running back injuries. But I think losing him in those two postseason games was also critical to the team's inability to get the run game going. They really missed his big 330-plus pound frame in the middle, just bulldozing people. They didn't have a backup that could come in and do that. They had Jamarco Jones and a rookie and Phil Haynes at the time that had never played a snap on the offensive line. And so that was a huge loss for them up front. And I thought when he played last year in the 10 games, especially the middle of the season, we mentioned this while the games were happening. I thought that Mike Upati played some of his best football between weeks 10 and week 12, 13 range before he got injured again and started dealing with his neck issues again. He had a three or four game span there where he was consistently getting really high grades on pro football focus, and I thought he was dominant up front. He was playing some of his best ball and pass protection too. So I do think that this leaves a big void. But again, it's not as if the Seahawks weren't planning for this. I do think there was a very good chance they were going to move on regardless. But now the big question still is, who is going to fill that role? You mentioned the lack of bodies on the roster. You've got Jordan Simmons, Jamarco Jones, Phil Haynes didn't play any snaps last year. He's had a bunch of injuries. Can you really count on any of those guys to start? Do you go out and get a free agent with limited cap space? Do you use one of your limited draft picks to pick a guard? This is a pretty good class for offensive line, but certainly this is going to be one of the big priorities the Seahawks must address because they don't have Mike Potty to turn to as a last resort like they did bringing him back for another season last year. Well, that's the thing is I almost wonder if if he might not be a player that you might be able to coax back if you you feel really good about the, the you know your off season you feel like you've you've built the team back up and, and if nothing else then maybe as a as kind of a player coach um, I think that that might be something that, that Seattle might consider um, just given the uh, given Yapati's experience um, and and the respect that that he has uh, in that locker room and in that coaching staff but let's just assume for a moment that that you might. Kipati does, you know, kind of just retire and, and walk off into the sunset as he very much deserves. You know, if you're looking at this, who, who Seattle might try to replace him with, you know, I, I've argued for a while now that I think that Jamarco Jones might make some sense um, just because I, I like his frame inside as a guard. At the same time, you know, he, he's 6'4", 310 pounds. And as you mentioned before with Mike Yapai, we're talking about all of 6'5", all of 330 pounds with very long arms, almost 35-inch arms. He had the frame to be able to slide outside and play that offensive tackle position just because he was as long as he is. With, with Jamarco Jones, he's a little bit more of a compact frame kind of a guy. And I've always argued that that makes him a little bit better suited maybe to playing guard, but not necessarily guard in the way that Seattle has used their offensive line in the past. And as you mentioned a moment ago, you know, Mikey Pye was playing really good ball um, for the Seahawks at any times over the last couple of years. You know, with, with that size, obviously, um, you're usually going to be very well known as a run blocker, and he could do that. Um, Jordan Simmons and Phil Haynes, um, they have the similar frames to be able to, to kind of plug into that role. Um, you know, with, with Jamarco Jones, he has the, the footwork um, that I think would make him a better pass protector inside, but he is certainly not the run blocker um, that Yapati is, or, or frankly, um, you know, some of those other guys that I, I just mentioned with, with Haynes and, and Simmons. So to me, that's really going to be fascinating is to see what are the Seahawks looking to do here with their offense? You know, Shane Waldron coming in as new offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there are going to be some some changes. And so are they going to be looking for quicker, uh, more athletic offensive linemen? That might suggest that it's Jamarco Jones. If not, then you are putting an awful lot of faith in guys like Simmons and in Haynes who have struggled with durability. Or, as you mentioned, you're going to have to kind of look at, at investing in a draft pick or, or free agent dollars. And this is not a team that feels like it has much space um, to be able to do precisely that. So it might be up to Phil Haynes and uh, Jordan Simmons to step up to the plate now that Mike Capati is left. Yeah, that's going to be the million-dollar question when you talk about the scheme changes with Shane Waldron as the new coordinator. We don't know what to expect there. If it's going to be more of a Ram-style running game with wide zone, almost those stretch runs, you're going to want more athletic guards that are able to move laterally. And Jamarco Jones might be an excellent fit there rather than getting another 330-plus pound mauler in the middle. If they're going to stick with status quo, though, then they're going to have to go out and find another big body. They've got some guys in the roster. But again, durability is the big question when you're talking Jordan Simmons and Phil Haynes. And so that's going to be a big priority that John Schneider in the front office for the Seahawks. They've got to get that figured out in free agency and or the draft and try to find an upgrade at that position if they can. When we come back in the second quarter, it's Mock Draft Monday. We're going to take a look at several listener submissions. Had a couple of requirements that you had to meet this week. Most specifically, you needed to draft a guard and a center as part of your draft class. It's all about the offensive line on this episode this week. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of my favorites, cookies and cream, carrot cake, German chocolate, peanut butter, salted caramel, coconut, peanut butter brownie, you name it, they all are delicious. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and it's good for the health-conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. In my case, gluten-free. It's great for a keto diet as well. Visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your first order. Again, the promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Monday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks. But what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. It's Mock Draft Monday, one of our favorite shows of the week. As we've been doing for the last couple of Mondays, we dished out a few requirements for this week's Mock Drafts. We've had one where you had to pick a quarterback. We've had one where you couldn't make any trades. This week, two requirements. Everyone had to pick a left guard and a center, and you had to do so with a maximum of six draft picks. So those of you that love to make a million trade down so you can turn four picks into 90 of them, you did not have the flexibility to do that this week. So, Rob, let's get to it. Our first one here from Riley Paps is a six-player draft class. This one was done on the Pro Football Network Mock Draft Simulator. Again, I'm partial to that simulator. To me, it's the best one overall in the business. A six-player class headlined at pick 67 by Quinn Miners out of Wisconsin, Whitewater. Then at pick 130, Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame, a guard. Benjamin St. Juice, the corner out of Minnesota at 148. Frank Darby, the receiver from Arizona State, at pick 168. And then a couple picks in the 200s at 209. Kylan Granson out of SMU, the tight end. And then Brian Mills, a corner out of North Carolina Central. Overall, a pretty solid mock draft, Rob. And 
there's several players on here that we've had a chance to look at, and there's a few names that we haven't had a chance to look at, but this draft covers the secondary and the offensive line. It seems like that's the big priority here, while also adding a couple more targets for Russell Wilson in the passing game. Yeah, I think that this first mock draft makes a lot of sense in that I think it's relatively realistic. You know, I mean, you have the the Seahawks, of course, right now have four draft picks. Um, you know, expanding to six doesn't seem to be too much out of the question. Um, with their first selection still being at number sixty-seven overall, you're still very much well into the, you know day two without completely dropping out. You know, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are just going to completely trade out of of, uh, of day two and then acquire ten or twelve draft picks. But that's not the way the NFL teams are really going to operate, even one that is the success on day three that, that Seattle does. I think that you're, you're starting off here with, with, with Quinn Myers and, and, and Aaron Banks is two of the more physical offensive linemen in this draft class. Um, you know, Quinn Myers is, is a small school player, of course, from Wisconsin Whitewater, but he kind of helped erase any of those concerns about his level of competition with a, a really important, uh, really impressive, excuse me, performance at the Senior Bowl. Um, just his physicality, his quickness, his nastiness. Um, he, he is one those guys that that you know for those people who don't like to watch the offensive line guys who are just brawlers like minors uh, are the kind of guys that are going to get you excited you may want to start paying some attention um, at that position Aaron Banks is an interesting one from Notre Dame too I mean we were talking about the big brawlers the 6'5 330 pounders I mean that's Aaron Banks too in a nutshell right there I mean he is a huge part of Notre Dame's success and um, actually in, in qualifying for the playoffs in college football this year so those two players, I think, fit in with Seattle very well. I, I'm not so sure that it's going to be Notre Dame is the way that they go, just because Seattle's track record Notre Dame players has been a little bit up and down. Uh, Quinn Miners is a small school player. Again, um, that, that's not been something that Seattle has focused on in the past. But in terms of the style of the offensive linemen to start off this draft, I think that they very much fit in with the Seahawks style. And Aaron Banks, I think when you're looking at the guard position specifically, again, this will be very telling. We should have an idea when free agency gets going what the Seahawks want to do with their offensive line. But if they're going to be going to more of a wide zone stretch oriented run game, Aaron Banks to me is not the guard that you target because this is not a guy that's fleet of foot, even by offensive line standards, not super mobile. He'll maul you. He can drive people back. The vertical run game, he's going to be a really good fit. But I question where he's going to fit in on an offense. It's going to be running a lot of zone, especially outside zone, like what the Rams do. If that's the style run game we're going to see the Seahawks now implementing, I'm not sure that Aaron Banks fits. Quinn Miners, on the other hand, I see enough athleticism from him on the tape, looking at how he performed in the Senior Bowl, and the fact he could play center or guard. I think in the center position, it's not as big of a deal if maybe his lateral quickness isn't near the top of his class and his position group. And so I can definitely see minors if the Seahawks are willing to draft a small school lineman. That has not been something they have done under John Schneider. The two picks on here that I really like are the next two after those offensive line. Not that I don't like the lineman picks, but Benjamin St. Juiced is one of my favorite corners in this draft class. 6'3", around 200 pounds, long arm. So this is your prototypical Pete Carroll corner. Now DJ Reed maybe changes a little bit how the Seahawks are going to evaluate corners moving forward. But I still think that's the kind of player that Pete Carroll is going to prefer to have on the outside. This guy is a physical player. He'll get up in the receiver's face at the point of attack. He'll come up and make hits in the run game. He showed he's got better ball skills than his stats in college advertising the Senior Bowl. Sticky coverage. He'll get his hands out there. Seems like this is a guy that still has a lot of room to grow in the secondary. So I really like his fit in Seattle's scheme. And then Frank Darby at 168. He is a player that I'd be concerned maybe his stock is going up a little bit too much for the Seahawks to be able to get him. But again, this is a very deep receiver class. So a player like Darby, who doesn't have the greatest college production, he could still be a guy that slides into day three that the Seahawks could bring in. What I like most about him, he not only has big play threat capabilities, but this is a guy that got a lot of yards after the catch in college at Arizona State. And you and I both know, Rob, the Seahawks absolutely need a receiver behind Metcalf and Lockett that can do that, that you can just get the football to him quick and then he can create yardage. That is a major strength, a major strength for Frank Darby. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I like about Riley Papp's mock here is that um, besides just the individual players themselves, and you're absolutely right, Corbin. I mean, that, that is 
find another set of hands <clears throat> to be that that third pass catcher in Seattle's offense is absolutely critical. Um, so I like that uh, you know that, <clears throat> that that Riley here went with a, a wide receiver or the tight end with two different cornerbacks, and this is truly paying attention to to Seattle's current roster and where they have some holes at this point. Um, you know, I think that the cornerback is almost surely going to be one of Seattle's selections, um, unless of course that the team makes some big time moves in free agency, whether retaining some of their own players or going out and getting some others. So, um, but with Benjamin St. Juiced, um, you know, at pick 148 and then uh, Brian Mills, 100 picks later, um, the, the, the small school corner from North Carolina Central, I had an opportunity to evaluate him. And, you know, again, Seattle has generally focused away from the small school players. But once you get invited to the Senior Bowl, Ike Miners, their, their first selection in this progress, in this progress, in this projection, excuse me, um, then I think that you kind of ease some of those concerns. And uh, Brian Mills has those 32-inch arms that you're looking for. Um, he has experience playing on the outside as well as the inside. His season um, w- did uh, play on this past year, unlike uh, many of the other small school players out there. So um, so you have a little bit of, of tape on him. Um, you, you see a guy that, that does have speed, that does have ball hawking ability. At the same time, when he did struggle at the lower level, it was against size. And you think about some of the wide receivers that, that Seattle is going to be hoping to face in the NFC West division. You do have some receivers who have elite straight line speed and they have enough size. And so I think that he is uh, you know, correctly placed here as a late round selection, but one who has the upside that the Seahawks are always looking for. And that's what I like about pick 209. We're talking upside. Seattle's only got three tight ends under contract. And I know for a fact that they are looking at some big name tight ends on the trade market as well as free agency. That is a position they absolutely want to address. But if they were going to go the draft route, Kylan Granson around 242 pounds, he has played some in the backfield. He's that interchangeable tight end that can move around a little bit. You can play him fullback. You can play him as a wing in the slot. He's played some inline tight end. I don't think that's a big strength for him. He's on the lighter side, but he certainly surprised me on film with how well he blocked at least the college level. And so maybe there's some upside in that area of his game too. But he set a SMU record for touchdown receptions by a tight end a few years ago. This guy's got good, not great athleticism, but he's a really solid route runner with soft hands. And so maybe that's the kind of player that Shane Waldron looks at and says, I see enough on film from him as a blocker. I know he can move around. He can catch the football. This kid makes a lot of sense late in day three to bring in, and we can develop him behind Colby Parkinson and Will Disley. Maybe he can play some snaps for you early on. So overall, a pretty good mock draft. Let's get to our next one here from Cody Reddinghouse. There's a few repeats on this one, but also a few names we have not discussed yet. At pick 76, there was one big trade by Cody. Moved down to 76 to get Kenneth Gainwell, the running back, out of Memphis. And then at pick 82, Benjamin St. Juice. There goes that man again, the corner out of Minnesota. And then at 124, Trey Smith, the guard out of Tennessee. A few picks later, hitting the offensive line again with Josh Myers, the center out of Ohio State. 168, Darius Stills at defensive tackle, West Virginia product. And then at 208, a corner out of Washington, Keith Taylor, a player that I think his stock has risen enough after the senior bowl. I'd be surprised if he's still available at that point. But maybe this is a draft that's got a lot of bodies at the corner position. He wasn't overly productive with the Huskies. Maybe he's a player that ends up slipping through the cracks a little bit. A couple picks that I really like on this one in particular, Rob. Trey Smith out of Tennessee. Again, this goes back to the idea if the Seahawks are still going to want that big body guard that can play left that left guard spot. They still want a 325, 330-pound guy. Trey Smith fits the bill. This is a big, big boy that I think happens to have a little bit more athletic upside than the player from the last mock draft, which was Aaron Banks. And so I could see Trey Smith being a player that maybe he meshes with both what Shane Waldron wants to do and what Mike Solari wants to do, a bigger body guy that still has enough lateral mobility that you can run some of that outside zone and he can be successful. If you can get him at 124, to me, that's a steal. 
Yeah, it very much could be a steal. I mean, you're, you're talking about an all-SEC player, I mean, basically since the moment they stepped onto the field in Knoxville. Um, you know, of course, with, with the Seahawks just drafting Daryl Taylor, they are going to have some insight on uh, <clears throat> on Trey Smith that, that very few others uh, would, would have. And I, I mentioned that because I think this particular year, that is important. I, I, I could see, um, you know, teams very much relying on their – their, their first-year players or their second-year players, I guess, Terrell Terrell would be considered at this point, um, but but they're, they're rookies who from a year ago are still going to know some of these players. And, you know, of course, that, that's, that happens all the time. You know, but I think again with this year, with the the limited availability for scouts to get onto campus, the the you know the fact that there was only 10, t- 10 representatives of each of the NFL teams that were allowed to uh, to go to the Senior Bowl itself, um, the fact that there's only going to be a handful of, of league rec- representatives um, for each team, they're allowed to go to the combine. And then teams are going to have to do a little bit more due diligence um, and really trying to evaluate the person. And I think with Trey Smith, that's important because the medical questions are really going to dog him i mean this, this is a guy who as i mentioned mm-hmm. before was an absolutely spectacular player but he was found to have blood clots in his lungs um and that basically forced him to at times only play during the games but not practice at all during the week and when you are a team that only has four draft picks i don't know that you can take that type of a medical gamble i really like trey smith i think he would be a terrific fit for the seahawks and i hope that the, the, the Seahawks and every other NFL team out there gets a clean medical grade on Trey Smith because I really think he's a terrific player and a good human being as well. Um, was lauded by by Tennessee staff for his work ethic, his commitment. But at the same time, again, those would be the concerns I have about him. I really like the selection of Josh Myers, the center, um, as well as Darius Stills and Keith Taylor. Day three for Cody Rettenhouse's uh, mock draft here. Day three, the Seahawks would be absolutely ecstatic. But at the same time, I have some questions about whether or not any of those players are likely to be available uh, at that point. And that is more of a of, of a comment on the you know. Know, whoever did the you know the, the grading service for that particular website rather than Cody, I think he did a terrific job of basically checking the boxes of all the different needs that the Seahawks have. And before I let you go and and talk and whatever your thoughts are, really quickly, Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell, the running back that he has Seattle selecting seventy sixth overall from Memphis. I mean, this is an intriguing guy. This is a guy who is a little bit like another senior bowl star, Demetric Felton from UCLA, in that he's more in that 5'10", 190-pound range. This is not your traditional Seahawks, Pete Carroll running back. This is a guy who can line up as a slot receiver and do some dynamic things. He can be that speed running back. Um, you know, To me, he's an interesting guy, but for him to be your very first selection would very much surprise me at this point. Yeah, he's not at the top of the board for me at the running back position. I think there's a lot of potential with Kenneth Gainwell. I just, again, I look at the scheme fit. He's a player that the Seahawks offense is going to be featuring running backs more in the passing game, and they want to use him like they were hoping to use C.J. Procise, where he moves around in the slot and different stuff like that. Then certainly Gainwell could be a player they look at. I just, again, I'm with you. I think pick 76 is a bit too rich for me. There are a number of other running backs in this class that I look at that I think from a stylistic standpoint, a build standpoint would be better fits for what the Seahawks like to have in the backfield. And they're supposed to be going back to running the football. Maybe Gainwell ends up being that guy. Maybe they buck some trends, but this has just not been the typical type of player they have gone after. If they viewed him as a receiver, that's one thing. But I think most teams are looking at him being a running back at the next level, given the fact that He's around 5'11", 191 pounds. He's got enough frame there maybe to add a little bit more weight and not lose much speed as a result. But really the home run hitting ability is what makes him stand out the most. Overall, though, I think this is a pretty solid mock draft. Again, I'm with you. There's a number of players here. I'll be surprised if they're still available. But this is the season. If there's ever going to be guys really dropping further than you ever anticipated, it's this year because of how weird the scouting situation is and not having a combine. There are going to be guys more than usual that are going to fall through the cracks. So maybe the Seahawks will have a chance at some of these guys at later picks than anticipated. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to continue our mock draft Monday. A couple more mock drafts coming from you, our listeners. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the code LOCKED ON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Join the Draft Network's Trevor Sigma and Ben Solak every weekday on Locked On NFL Draft. Every Monday through Friday, Trevor and Ben break down everything you need to know about the NFL draft, upcoming prospects, and more through the draft scouting lens. With mock drafts every Monday, get an early look at which top prospects may be available for your team over at Locked on NFL Draft. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Continuing our mock draft Monday festivities again, here are the requirements. You had to have a maximum of six picks, no more than that. You couldn't go on a trading spree to add a million draft picks for the Seahawks, and you had to pick at least one guard and one center. So let's move on to our next one here, NSL underscore Seahawks. And I'm going to be honest, Rob, at least for the first couple picks, This might be my favorite mock draft that we had in today's submissions because at pick number 70, I doubt he's there, but man, I hope he is. Creed Humphrey, one of my favorite prospects in this entire draft class, the big fella out of Oklahoma. I like to call him a rock'em sock'em robot because he just goes out there and just beats up his opponents each week. You want to talk about a guy that looks like a Seahawks-style center, it's Creed Humphrey. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think it does. There's a couple of centers in this draft class who I think scream Seahawks and Creed Hill or Creed Humphrey, excuse me, is very much one of them. I kind of misspoke there is uh, said Hill. Trey Hill from George is another one that we have not yet talked about. But I, I think that our, our savvy Seahawks scouts out there uh, might be might be taking a peek at him as well as some of the other players that we have talked about, like a Landon Dickerson from Alabama, for example. But with, with Creed Humphrey, we're talking about a guy who, again, kind of like Trey Smith we talked about from the University of Tennessee, Creed Humphrey has been a standout at a program that has produced, what, back-to-back number one overall selections here in recent years in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, Oklahoma is, of course, one of the elite programs in all of college football. Um, Creed Humphrey, he has the experience in an up-tempo, pass-happy offense. He also has incredible power. I mean, this is a guy who was was wrestling competitively at like five or six years old um, and was an absolutely dominant wrestler. And you see that in the way that he plays football. Um, I like that you said the rock'em sock'em because he does fire off a punch on guys that uh, would make Mike Tyson proud. I mean, he just has the initial power and then the balance to kind of go along with that. He is not the most fleet of foot guy. I I wish that he was a touch quicker um, in, in that regard, but at the same time, I really like his power, his physicality. And whenever we're talking about interior offensive linemen for the Seahawks, of course, you have to figure out a way that you're going to stop Aaron Donald. And to me, one of the things that the Seahawks have tried to do, at times been very successful, other times have struggled, is just to maul uh, Aaron Donald and the rest of the Rams defensive front with just sheer size and physicality. Humphrey has that size. He certainly has that power as well. And pick 84 on NSL Seahawks draft is another big body. This guy, I like to call him the mountain. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, he is George's version of the mountain. And that is Ben Cleveland, six foot six, around 340 pounds. This is a big, big dude. And he loves to maul people off the line of scrimmage, too. He just has a propensity. This is the thing I noticed watching Georgia film. And I, I was instantly drawn to this guy because. I can't tell you how many times it seems like defenders just gravitated to his pancakes. Like he was the kind of chef that cooked two pancakes in one skillet 
and he did it all the time. And he's just the kind of guy that typically the Seahawks have wanted to have at the guard position. And yeah, there's some scheme fit issues potentially here. Again, we have to go back to whether they're going to run more wide zone. How's that impact type of players they want? But based on the type of guards the Seahawks have deployed the last three years, Ben Cleveland looks like the ideal prospect you can get end of day two, early day three. If you pitted him with Creed Humphrey up there, I don't care if you want to run more wide outside zone. If I'm Shane Waldron, I'm saying with those guys up front and Damian Lewis, we're going to just run power, man. We're just going to run it down your throat, and why not? They've got the running backs to be able to do it. They, they do, uh, and that's the thing. Ben, ben Cleveland is, is one of my favorite players in this draft class. I mean, he is a guy that uh, I think would, would fit in beautifully in, in Seattle, at least in the way that Seattle has chosen to run the ball um, here over these last couple of years. Now, again, if there is a huge difference in scheme and, and what they're going to ask these offensive linemen to do, then, then perhaps Cleveland is not going to be the greatest uh, fit because he is not fleet of foot. But for a guy who, as you mentioned, 6'6", 335, 340 pounds, you, you probably, for our listeners, you're probably imagining what that might look like. You might be imagining a little bit of flab in the middle because he's 340 pounds. I would ask you to do a quick Google search or Bing search if that's your preference. He's the mountain. I mean, he he's ripped for alignment of that size. He is. I mean, he might have a six-pack. I mean, this guy is absolutely <laughs> unbelievable with his frame for that size and just his, his conditioning. Um, and of course, as we talked about before with, with Creed Humphrey in Oklahoma, you know, Georgia runs the ball and plays pro style offense as well as, as just about any team in the entire country. Um, you know, and so it, it's almost like Stanford out here in the Pac-12 with the way that they have kind of built up their offensive lines or maybe even the Oregon Ducks here in recent years. So if you are not a, a college football fan who has watched a lot of Georgia Bulldogs, I assure you the Seahawks have because they are playing exactly the way that Seattle look. Uh, looks that's I mentioned the the Georgia center Trey Hill the guard Ben Cleveland it's a terrific fit and I gushed about the tackle Isaiah Wilson a year ago wound up being a, a late selection of the Tennessee Titans for in the first round um, you know so to me these are the types of teams that really produce consistent reliable um, you know and, and very very good offensive linemen year in and year out and so yeah I, I have to agree with you NSL Seahawks in terms of at least the very first two selections the, the center out of uh, at Oklahoma, Creed Humphrey, the guard uh, out of Georgia, Ben Cleve. I think that both of them would be slight uh, surprises to still be available at this point in the draft. Um, but at the same time, there, there's so many, so much talent this year at some very difficult to find positions that it could work out in Seattle's favor, have a couple of real big, tough physical offensive linemen fall into their lap. Looking at the rest of this mock, at pick 128, the Seahawks get their first corner of this draft class, Kerry Vincent Jr. from LSU, 168, Chauncey Golston from Iowa, defensive end, 213, Frank Darby, there goes that character again from Arizona State, coming in the seventh round, and then 229, Taquan Graham, defensive lineman out of Texas. I have already mentioned how much I like Frank Darby on this podcast. He is a receiver that, again, I think he he checks off a number of boxes the Seahawks look for. He's got big playability downfield, average over 20 yards per reception in 2019. So he's an explosive downfield guy. He's a very savvy route runner. He's tough in the middle of the field, can create yardage after the catch. Another name here that's kind of intriguing to me is Chauncey Golston, just for the fact that his former college teammate and high school teammate Cedric Lattimore has a chance maybe to play some more snaps for the Seahawks in the interior defensive line next season. Golston is a player that isn't going to give you a ton as a pass rusher. He's around 275 pounds, 6'5", 275, long arms. He had 12 sacks in four years at Iowa. So he wasn't a terrible pass rusher, but that's not a strength in his game. What he is really good at is setting the edge as a run defender. He looks to me like a player with his size, you could add some more weight to his frame. You get him up to around 280, 285 pounds. Chauncey Golston could be a very sound rotational base defensive end for the Seahawks. And I think you get him at 168. That's a pretty good value selection. 
I, I agree. And we talked about this before with, with uh, you know, what Daryl Taylor might be able to provide the Seahawks with some intel on Trey Smith and other Tennessee volunteers. Um, same thing, as you just mentioned, with Cedric Lattimore, um, who we were fortunate enough to, to interview here just a, couple, you know, a week or so ago. Um, he might be able to provide the Seahawks with, with plenty of intel on Chauncey Golston, who I, I think that the way you describe him, Corbin, was perfect. I mean, he is kind of that classic base end. He is not going to be an elite pass rusher, but at the same time, if you're looking at, you know, the 168th selection, then you are not likely to find a, a world being pass rusher at 270 pounds. But he is a pro ready guy, um, as are most players that come out of Iowa. Uh, the other thing I like about this draft, the, this particular mock draft is with the, the selection of the corner, Kerry Vincent, um, a pick 128. Kerry Vincent was one of those players who opted out on the season. Um, and so I think that that is unfortunately for Kerry Vincent is going to push him down the board a little bit. At the same time, this is a terrific athlete. Um, there, there's no question about that. He would pre, he would offer Seattle the similar kind of straight line speed as what the club may not have returning with Shaquille Griffin. I mean, the, the Seahawks have lots of long, tall guys. They don't necessarily have a lot of guys who can absolutely fly. And Kerry Vincent can do that. I expect him to run in the low four fours, and he backs that up on tape. And he's a play maker as well. So he's an interest, interesting guy who I think could actually be available at that 128th overall spot. And then finally, the very last selection, Taquan Graham, a defensive tackle from, from Texas. Now he played a little bit of inside, a little bit of outside, kind of like a, a Chauncey Golson. Doesn't have the, the statistics that overwhelm you, but my goodness, he looks the part, kind of like Ben Cleveland. Um, you know, he's 6'4", 290 pounds, got the really long arms, really flashed a little bit at the senior bowl. And so to me, uh, again, going back to the, the how the Seattle has had some success with the late round and undrafted free agent, the defensive line, that might be the kind of selection you can see Seattle use their very last picks on some of those defensive linemen, hoping they can catch lightning in a bottle. Let's go to our last draft here. This one coming from Theo Coney and another one very aggressive getting offensive linemen right off the bat at pick 56. No trade down from the original second round selection. And if this player is available, I can understand why you wouldn't be trading down. You go get Landon Dickerson out of Alabama. We'll, met, we'll talk about him here in a moment. At pick 131, David Moore out of Grambling State, a big mauling guard. 170, Chris Rump, the edge rusher out of Duke. 209, Alaric Jackson, the tackle out of Iowa, and then two consecutive picks, 211 and 212, Marlon Williams out of UCF, and Felipe Franks out of Arkansas, getting a quarterback at the end of the draft. Maybe the Seahawks will do that, given the Russell Wilson situation. Geno Smith is not under contract as of right now for the 2021 season. Let's talk about that first pick, though, Landon Dickerson. We were mentioning Creed Humphrey and his size. Well, Landon Dickerson, who played his first three years at Florida State before going to Alabama, 6'6", 326 pounds. Another guy that's an enforcer at the point of attack, great body strength, and a very savvy player, very intelligent player. Another one that's not a great athlete, doesn't have great lateral movement. He is going to get out of his stance quick, though, and he's going to bully people. So, again, another player that looks like a Seahawks-style center that really fits the rugged NFC West well. He does. To me, Landon Dickerson is one of those guys that we're going to someday talk about as either being a resume writer or a resume wrecker um, because he is an all-pro waiting to happen. Uh, I, I, there's very few uh, centers or interior offensive linemen. I'll, hold, I'll throw guards out there as well. I mean, I'm talking like the Steve Hutchinson types that you watch them and you're just like, oh my goodness, interior offensive linemen should not impact the game the way that Landon Dickerson can. At the same time, he struggled with durability throughout his entire career, including his final season at Alabama. And so that is the concern. Um, is that can he stay healthy? And for a team like the Seahawks, again, we only have four draft picks. That is one heck of a roll of the dice. Now, again, I think this player is absolutely fantastic. I think that a center that warrants a first-round selection are damn rare. 
but this guy absolutely warrants that. He, there is no question in my mind that he is the most physically gifted interior offensive lineman in this draft class. At the same time, I'm not so sure that he's going to go in the first round. He may not even go at number 56 overall when, when teams really start doing the medical on him. But my goodness, what a player. Um, you know, it, it takes something to go from Florida State, who when he signed with Florida State, the, the Seminoles were no joke back in the day. It was, it's only been a couple of years that they've really fallen off the map. But then to make that transfer, talk about, about competitiveness and confidence in your ability, to make the transfer, as a graduate transfer, by the way, to make that transfer to Alabama and to seize that role for you know the national, the national title contending team year in and year out, Joe Moore, uh, you know, award-winning offensive line is the best offensive line in college football, and then to win the Remington Trophy this year as the best center in, in college football, even though he was hurt, it just kind of speaks to, to what a talent he is. He is incredibly powerful. He's, you mentioned his size. I mean, he's just massive, and he moves really well for a man of that size. I don't care if he's playing center, guard, anywhere. If As long as he's on the field for you, then I think the Seahawks would be absolutely ecstatic to be able to bring Landon Dickerson onto the field for me. It's funny because he is kind of physically the opposite of the next selection, David Moore. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got to say this about David Moore at 131. The Seahawks already have one, currently not in the roster because he's going to be a free agent, but David Moore is five foot 10, 320 pounds. You want to talk about a guy that's built like a block. He, and the thing that's surprising about him, though, is he's fairly agile for having that build, being short and really stocky. He kind of reminds me of an offensive line version of Puna Ford. He gets after you. He's fairly light on his feet. And this is the ironic thing for me. You know, we talk about Russell Wilson, the issues being a shorter quarterback. You know, he's going to win the leverage battle up front, David Moore, as being five foot 10. Maybe that's an advantage for Russell Wilson, too. You don't have a six foot six guy like Cleveland that you've got to try to look past. You could actually maybe see over a guy like David Moore playing left guard for you. Exactly. And that's the thing is that, you know, again, I always come back to who are you actually competing against? Um, and if you're going to go up against a guy like Aaron Donald, who doesn't have elite, you know, prototypical size himself, then you might be able to get away with a guy like David Moore and talk about strength. I mean, this guy, again, this is, he's kind of the opposite again of Landon Dickerson, or we talked about Ben Cleveland before, you know, these offensive linemen that might have uh, six packs. I mean, David Moore has that kind of, he is, he has a square build, but what do you see the guy? arms. I mean, this is the guy who just it has incredible power. And the only reason that he wound up playing at Grambling State rather than one of those other big time programs in the South is just the height. And, uh, you know, Seattle knows better than most um, that the height can be one of the most overrated, uh, you know, uh, measurables when it comes to evaluating college football players. You know, one of the other things that switching past David Moore to some of the other players on this draft, which I think is another very, very good one. Um, Chris Rump, the edge rusher from Duke, and Eric Jackson, um, the big tackle from, from Iowa. For one, I, I don't know what Pro Football Network is, is seeing. I don't know why that Jackson is rated as low as he is on their board. Um, but I, I just I, I remain convinced that he is at least a top 100 selection. But still, I just like the idea of Seattle trying to draft a good young offensive tackle and then be able to develop them. So if they are able to do so, then I think that makes a lot of sense. We've talked so much before about Iowa and just the, what an incredible program that Kirk Ferentz runs there and how so many times that some of the guys that are drafted in the later rounds out of Iowa wind up being very quality NFL producers. I think that Jackson's going to do the exact same thing. Chris Rumpf is an interesting guy. He, he's a guy that, that physically speaking kind of reminds me a little bit of Benson Mayoa in that he is more that 6'3", 235, 240-pound range. And can you get that extra 15 to 20 pounds on him? That, to me, is one of the questions about him. But he has he has great straight-line burst right off the, right off the line um, to be able to get to cross the face of the tackle and be able to get upfield. He can uh, you know, transition and be able to turn the corner and be able to close. He's an interesting guy. He's a guy that surprised some people by coming out a year early um, out of Duke. He wasn't the most, he, his statistics look good, but he disappeared at times at games. But there are some traits there. And so it's going to be interesting to see the way that Seattle looks at their young defensive ends, because that's the role that I think that Rump is going to play, not so much as a strong side linebacker. I just don't see the power at the point of attack just yet. 
the other pick I want to talk about from this draft real quick at 211, Marlon Williams, the receiver out of UCF. We talked about the need for a guy that can create after the catch and can play slot and the outside. Marlon Williams is six foot, 222 pounds. So he is a thickly built receiver that does have the ability to create after the catch. He can break tackles. It's a very powerful receiver that has not dropped very many passes at the college level. And his production last season, his last year for the Knights, he had 71 receptions for over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns in just eight games. This is a guy the light switch really came on for him this season at UCF. I still look at him as a player that's got a lot of room to develop as a route runner. He hasn't played a ton of games at the collegiate level. He was just starting to come into his own in 2019, the first year that he really was getting a lot of snaps at UCF, but you could see what kind of playmaker that he is this past season, showing off his ball skills, his ability to take the football and create with it in its hands. He's got the ability to take down catches in traffic downfield. I'm curious to see what his pro day numbers look like because this could be a guy, especially this year without the combine, that if he has a very strong pro day performance, he might rock it up draft boards because you can see the physical traits and you can see the athleticism ball skills you name it the package is there just seems like he's a little bit of a unpolished player going into this draft that really just started putting everything together last season yeah it's a little bit ironic that in this mock draft by by theo coney he drafts a player named david moore um and then we were talking about the wide receiver for the seahawks david moore and that's who marlon williams kind of reminds me of a little bit is unpolished much bigger than you would expect uh six foot as you mentioned six foot 220 pounds um and so he is beastly after the catch he can run through um those arm tackles and so i agree with you Corby. i think it's going to really be interesting to see what exactly he runs and how he works out because this is another terrific wide receiver class i feel very confident now whether the seahawks can find one or not i don't know but i feel very confident that we are going to wind up seeing some late or middle and late round selections maybe even some undrafted free agents this year uh, at the wide receiver position that they wind up being quality NFL players. Uh, Marlon Williams, it seems like, has that type of upside. So he is an intriguing one. Another one, the Seahawks have had some sec- some success in the late rounds with, with some of their wide receivers, more than they've had, say, the fourth or, or middle rounds, uh, for example. And so Marlon Williams is one of the ones that intrigues me. And then finally, the quarterback, Felipe Franks. You know, before Kyle Trask wound up becoming a superstar at Florida, Felipe Franks was the, the star there he winds up transferring um, to Arkansas and the the numbers are are reasonable um, but what is exciting about him is just the size and arm strength combination uh, I don't know that this is the quarterback that you want to draft behind Russell Wilson because he is you know if, he, if you're trying to push Russell Wilson a little bit Felipe Franks is not the guy that's going to push him because he is very very raw at the same time he can make very rare throws. Um, and so there is legitimate talent here. If you're looking for a guy to develop, then Felipe Franks has that type of upside. This isn't one of those throwaway picks where you're just drafting a guy because, oh, you know, you want to make sure that you have somebody who can kind of you know, whistle or, or talk in Russell Wilson's ear a little bit. Um, this is a guy who has that starting potential. We're just talking a year or two or three down the road. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Make sure to leave us a review. Coming up on tomorrow's Tuesday show, Throwback Tuesday, we're going to be looking back at the 2017 draft class. There's a chance after this offseason the Seahawks won't have any players on the roster from that draft class. Pretty crazy to think about that. Plus, We'll take a look at the latest on the Russell Wilson front as far as his future with the Seahawks moving into 2021. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.